Everyone and welcome to episode 19 of the Audience Please podcast with me, your host, Adam. So on this episode, I spoke to someone who I've wanted on this podcast for quite some time, uh, Joe of Hey Colossus, and it was an absolute honour to have him on and uh, for him to chat around his book that was part of the Sleeve Notes series. Um, I highly recommend his book. And also, uh, Mr. Mark Lanigan, of all people, wrote a book as part of that series. Um, so obviously we talk about it on the episode, but we cover the joys and pitfalls of uh, being a DIY band on tour, sleeping on floors, playing shows to no one, and having to get up after a couple of hours kip and then go to work. Um, yeah, Joe obviously had some amazing stories. And like I said, go go out and buy that book as well. Uh, you can find it online still. And if you've not delved into Hey Colossus's back catalogue, um, please do check them out. Uh, you'll be surprised at how eclectic their sound is over over time. Um, I do recommend their last album, Four Bibles, probably as a starting point and maybe work your way backwards. Um, and you'll see you'll see what I mean. But absolutely fantastic band. I saw them uh, last year for the first time in ages play with Nod and Park Chimp. Um, on a Sunday night, which we we talk about again here. Um, so other than that, we talk about his new label, uh, Wrong Speed, and his radio show, Yorkshire Tea and Clarinets. Enjoy. said it's really weird like we were sat there like I said we were sat watching Spaced and I was like can you hear a clarinet is that me and we looked out the back window and it's coming it's must must be only a couple of doors down but I've never heard anyone play the clarinet around here it's really it was a really are they playing it well yeah that's the thing they're not playing it shit shit either they they know how to play so I'm like has someone just moved in like <laughs> the funny thing with the clarinet is is that when I was like at school I said I wanted to learn a saxophone. Yeah. And they said, you can learn a saxophone, you can learn a clarinet first. So I've always thought of it as a stepping stone instrument. Because it's got the same reed. Oh, okay. Breathing skills you need. So like, yeah, we've got a load of clarinets. So you've got to learn that before you... I'm, I'm glad I didn't... And it, like the saxophone is a... It's fairly horrific. I'm glad I didn't go down that route in the end. But... Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe, hey, Colossus would have been a different beast today if you uh, had yeah, learned well, it. Yeah, well, I think like who has good good like saxophones, and there aren't many. Morphine, if you know that band. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, they were pretty good. I think they had a, like a bass one. But it's pretty limited. The old saxophone is. Yeah, I think I think it's coming back though. Um, the old brass instruments in noise rock, like John had one in in one of their songs on their new album. Um, who else did I see? I saw another like noisy band. Oh yeah, Saint Pierre had a melodica in one song. But yeah, like the whole thing of like um, wind instruments coming back into yeah. like noise rock and alt rock. It's becoming a bit of a thing now. <laughs> 
Well, I haven't said that. On an album or two back, we had him from, um, what's his fucking name? Him from Hawkwind. Oh, yes. Amazing. Nick, Nick Turner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he played on a song, and he can like because Reese Reese accidentally knew him, like it turns out, like our drummer, and um, so he sent him this song. He's like, oh yeah, can you just add a bit of saxophone to this song? I think it'll really suit it. And he sent it back, and he had completely covered it from the very first second to the very last second with about sort of ten tracks of wailing saxophone. It was amazing. Like, it, was, it was kind of a horror show, but we have kept it. But in the end, we just edit it and just kept him in at the end. But yeah, I've just I've just, I've just remembered the other band I was thinking of, Polymath, because um, they've recently got Chris on board, um, and yeah, he basically plays a load of brass. Like they they've slowly expanded. They were like a three piece, just sort of like mathy indie band, and then they got Josh on keys. Josh is a mate of mine. So I, that's when I really started getting into them. And the last time I saw them, they had this guy, Chris. And yeah, it's basically just him wailing over the top of all their songs. And it's right, right. it's amazing. It's really good. <laughs> oh, okay, so maybe there's a place for it. Mm. Yeah, maybe I'll pick up the clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, do you know what? I'm going to keep that in the podcast. So I think we'll just kick <laughs> off the podcast. That was a good little chat around uh, wind instruments. So, hey, hey, Joe, how are you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, good. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining, uh, mate. I've wanted to interview you or at least someone in Hey Colossus for quite some time. So, yeah, really happy to have you on, man. Um, so, yeah. Um, Obviously, a, a few listeners will know Hey Colossus and what they're all about, but um, you've been doing a bit of stuff with um, Wrong Speed, so the, the new sort of label you've set up and you've um, done one week or two weeks of Wrong Speed Radio as well now. So, yeah, just wanted to chat around that and sort of what was the driver for you like starting Wrong Speed up? Because you dipped your toe in, well, uh, releasing records a long time ago, didn't you? So um, sort of revisiting that. Mm. Yeah, well, we'd, um, the previous band I was in, we ran a label from like late 90s to early 2000s, like about a 10 year period. And um, then uh, that label then put out the first couple of Colossus records. So like uh, 2003, 2005, it was still going. And then it yeah. stopped around 2006, seven, I moved to Somerset um, with, where we were doing things like having kids. <laughs> whatever else so you can really like only I, I think you can sort of only run a record label properly if um i don't know if your heart's totally in it and you can totally flow uh, yeah it was just tough moving away and having kids i wasn't going to gigs as much because you yeah. know, when you've got a year old you don't go out really um but it's come back around now because they're now my kids are now 20 and 17 so <laughs> so i got time and um then i got furloughed uh because yeah. um elisa my wife had a uh liver transplant in february yeah um, i had a load of time off work anyway i'd saved a load of holiday and i'd take some unpaid leave and then i was going to go back to work in like, april or may then all this kicked off and i got furloughed up until about two weeks ago and in that okay. time, I was like, well, I need something to do with my spare time. So I started writing. So I started a blog and called it Wrong Speed. 
And then I was speaking to a local fellow who runs the local radio station here. And I said, let me have a show. <laughs> let me have a show. <laughs> so I called it that as well. And then it's always been in the back of my mind to start a label again. Yeah. Um, I, I feel that there's a lot of releases that don't get a physical release. I'm a very uh, physical release person. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't get embroiled in buying, buying downloads. I don't, I, I can't, I don't know. They don't interest me particularly. Yeah. I know. I, I can, and I can see from your record collection behind you that that's uh, very true as well. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> um, I, I love having it there because there's things there that I bought like in 1988 or whenever I first started buying records. And I, and, and, and it, it's, a, it's a reminder. I can look at it and pick it out and it'll be like Iron Maiden or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, I bought this from WH Smith's when I was 14 with pocket money or paper round money. And, and I just feel that, and I'm old, so saying this just makes me sound even older, but I just <laughs> having, having a computer full of downloads or digital music in 30 years time, I'm just not going to look at that hard drive in yeah. the same way. Like it's, I'm not going to be inspired to pick up the thing I bought. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 fun. No, but you you say you you say you're old, and um, that makes you sound older. I was interviewing a band yesterday, a very different band from sort of what you do, that like hey, hey Colossus and everything, and they're releasing their debut EP, and they said the same thing. Um, they were very much like we are so happy that we're releasing it um, as like a one-sided twelve-inch because yeah. the same thing. It's it's that. I mentioned like going through HMV and going from A to Z um, and like going through the CD rack. I was a CD person because of my age, but um, they're all in the loft now. But I've, I've got like 800 CDs that are sat in the loft. But one day when I have my own place and mm. um, have a room for music, I'll get them out again and I'll put them on display because it's that same thing, like going to gigs and picking up certain CDs. It's like, and also like certain CDs that aren't on, all records that aren't on Spotify and streaming. Um, it's nice to have, it's nice to have those, isn't it? I, I think if, you know, if you're, if you have a, a, you know, a love of something, you know, maybe you read a lot of books or whatever, or, you know, you listen to music. I, th I think just, it's a story of your life. Mm. In a way, just having that, having your first book you bought adrian mole or whatever and then <laughs> all the you know all the way to whatever you're into now and you just got this like story of and it's the same with music and and you know i don't like in the days when i used to drink yeah you know, you'd have friends around and like you'd be like okay let's get the maiden out you know like, <laughs> <laughs> like 14 years old and, and yeah and get it out and you just and it's just this I don't know. There's something beautiful about it. So consequently, I had this. Um, yeah, I just wanted to start the label. Yeah. I just have a big belief in physical music. Yeah. So why? Um, so following on from that, um, obviously you've put a couple of things out now that sold out straight away. Um, so you had what were the two releases? I've got them here somewhere. Oh, uh, um, mm. That band I really like. Oh, Sweet Williams and um, the other band that the name escapes me now. So why yeah, why have you? Oh yeah, Reigns. That's it. And yeah. Reigns, um, one of the guys used to be in Hey Colossus, or a couple of them. 
Used to uh, be. Yeah, there's, t- there's two two people in Reigns, and they yeah. both were apostles. Yeah. And they also uh, play in Henry Blacker, which is another band I do. So nice. the three of us do that band. And I've known them for years and years and years. And um, they, they, uh, they had this album recorded and uh, Monotreme were going to release it. Um, I don't know if you know that label. They put out that band 65 Days of Static, classics. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Engine sort of band. Yeah. Um, I only mentioned that because you said you were <laughs> <laughs> tangent sort of person. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, Monotreme were going to release it because they released their last two. Uh, but for whatever reason, the label's fallen apart. Um, okay. For various personal reasons, it's not going. So they put this album up on Bandcamp and all the money they made, they gave to um, uh, some form of PPE charity that happened a few months ago. So it was just their uh, like digital on Bandcamp. And I, I just thought it was a shame. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the first one that made me think, okay, let's do this. Cause that just needs to exist. <laughs> you know, properly, whatever. So and then Tweet Williams, Tom's a great guy. I've known him for years and years and years. So again, I loved his previous band. We released his previous band's music as well on the old label. And then he asked. He, he really recorded this album on his own uh, in um, Zaragoza, however you say it in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. And so he got in touch and said, are you starting a like basically I don't know how it happened, but you got in touch with me and said, Are you starting a label? I got a feeling some other people had heard me talking in a van once. Yeah. <laughs> and they and they've and they've tipped him off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then two years later it's like, oh yeah, I think <laughs> So that's what happened. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do both of those at the same time. And then there's two others, there's our Acid Liner album, which reached you drums for Colossus, and the Bass Clef album. And there's others that are gonna be announced very, very soon. Awesome. Um, which is, yeah, which I don't really want to say just because. <laughs> that's fine. I'll tell, when it's I'll tell you when it's finished. Yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Um, so you going down the sort of a sort of a, that sort of route, but quite regular releases two at a time. And it's basically going to be sort of the records that you want to release, basically, rather than records that you think you'll make money from. It's more of a. Passion project, more of it, more for, more more from the passion side, if anything. Yeah, there's no money. I'm, I, the, the first, these first four, I've only pressed a hundred yeah. like records. Um, because why? Uh, because I don't want to get stuck with three hundred of them in the garage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something. I, I I don't think that the um. You'll hear a lot of people saying that scale of economy means that if you press more, then it costs less. Yeah. But that only works if you sell them all. Yeah. But if you don't sell them all, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. The scale of economy only works with what you sell. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've, yeah, I've, I've had... Yeah. I've had that the same... I've only done one round of T-shirts for the podcast, and I've ended up stuck with about eight smalls uh, that I know that I can't get rid of. I've got sold everything else. I've got yeah. one XL, one large, which will probably go at some point. But it's, it's that same thing. Um, you're 100% right. It was like I could have printed 200 mediums, but I wouldn't have sold them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they'd have been two quid a pop. Like yeah. You'd have 
whatever, three pounds a t-shirt, but yeah, you'd have been stuck. It doesn't make any sense. So I just didn't want hundreds of records left over. It's a bit depressing for everyone. I think it's depressing for the bands. And yeah. For me. So the first four are, are really, yeah, like low key, 100 press. But the one that is currently, the other one, the, the fifth one that's currently at the pressing plant is a bigger deal. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you kind of mentioned that in your in your book as well. It's got kind of those funny stories of um, someone discovered 30 records under under their bed and uh, uh, or they get stuck with them years later. Um, so, yeah, totally understand that. Um, and we'll use that as a, sort of a run on. Um, I want to talk a bit around the book, actually, because I've now read it twice and um, it's fantastic, by the way. Um, really really good read so how did that sort of come about with sleeve notes so i've only read a bit around sleeve notes and sort of the premise around it and obviously they did a book with mark lanigan as well which yeah. is really cool um so how did that come about um i got i got asked to there was, yeah there's a uh david gedge one. Oh yeah 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 i need to get that and one and and there's um the fella from st etienne did one as well yeah the famous people and me <laughs> um, uh, it, it came about because I wrote something for The Quietus around the release of an album or two back and the publisher of that got in touch, he said he was into the writing and um, and he's starting this series of books where he's getting people to write about songs that they've been involved in, whether I wanted to do one or not. And that all the other people doing them were famous people. <laughs> one from like a different angle. Yeah. So, you know, not like a success story, more a, a stuttering along story. <laughs> so that's what happened. And then I didn't really want to write about the songs because yeah. what more, what I don't know, you can write about something other than it's in C and we drone a bit and then that's the end of it really on the song <laughs> so I thought do each chapter on a subject like so so this the chapter would be called the drang which is one of our songs and you'd mm. write about the chat the song for about three lines but then quickly veer off to talk about a specific subject whatever the hell it was in that chapter I can't remember yeah and, and, and then that was the case for each of them I was trying to do it like that um and also we were writing an album at the time so i wanted to do a diary of that because i think that's quite interesting maybe for someone who you know only knows about famous bands to see how like a band with no money and no organizational skills and can somehow miraculously <laughs> pull this together you know around work and trying to find weekends for six people and everything else i think that's quite interesting as well or it is to me and also yeah. there's four diaries in there of playing to two people and all this sort of business which again i think if you only read books by famous people who played to twenty thousand people and whatnot maybe it's quite interesting to see i don't know and i think maybe yeah that's what i wanted so that's what you got. yeah yeah i definitely would say from a from a fan's perspective because i've never been in a touring band obviously no people in touring bands but actually seeing those stories on paper especially with your touring experiences in Europe especially are quite funny like I think one of the first ones is 
um, you, I can't remember what band you were touring with, and you um, were like, we're not going to play the show, we're going to sit in a hot tub at the top of a mountain or whatever it was. And you were just like it's ten ten sweaty uh, sweaty blokes in a in a in a hot tub <laughs> drinking some beers, and then other stories where you're like um, you were playing with oh, what was that band called? There was a band that you mentioned in the book, and I was I think it was Attack Attack or something like that, or oh, I can't remember what they're called. And you played in Brixton in like a squat, and then the police oh no not in Brixton uh, off like Regent Street, and you played in a squat, yeah. and it had no had no uh, um, no double glazing, so everyone could just hear you outside. Yeah, and was, yeah, those, yeah, yeah, yeah those. Yeah, right, right, yeah, that was, yeah, that was that was excellent. That was with uh, Jets v Sharks. Oh, that's, that's it. One of Jets the bands that played. Yeah, there was yeah. about there was about eight bands that played that, and it was on about the fourth floor, and it was about ten yards from Oxford Street, like right in the middle. Um, uh, what's the tube station in the middle? Uh, Ma uh, Marble Arch? No, Bond Street. Bond Street. Oh, no, Tottenham Court Road. Uh, yeah, like no, Oxford, Oxford, yeah. Oxford, Oxford Circus, sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That Got one. there eventually. Right near there, and yeah, it was, it was yeah, fourth or fifth floor. There was a magazine at the time called, um, like a fanzine, should I say, called Rancid News. Okay. I don't know if you knew that, but it was, no. um, had a different name before. But it turned into Rancid News, and they would put they would put these like squatty gigs on around London because we did play in Brixton as well. Um, uh, down there, um, what the hell's that place called? We used to rehearse. Uh, the 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 windmill. Yeah, no, no, it was like a it was it was it was a squat, but it was down there as well, and it was put on by these same people that ran this magazine called Rancid News. You know, I don't know how they found the places <laughs> to play, and we'd do it, and they were good fun. They were good, yeah. Sometimes they were more fun than the proper gigs. Just yeah, what the hell was going on? <laughs> it was exciting then, you know. Yeah, definitely reading your book though. Um, I, I for people that are listening, I definitely recommend it. If you're if you're even a fan of the DIY scene, or if you're not, um, it's definitely worth a read. Um, just to hear those stories, and it's funny because when I was reading the book. Um, the amount of stories that I've already heard from mates, they're exactly the same. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, it's so fun. And there's a lot of, lot of venues, especially in Europe that you mentioned that I've heard people play at, um, like USA Nails have played at like Magazan and uh, mm -hmm. they've mentioned that before. It's like, a pretty well, well, well known venue. So yeah, really interesting to hear, man. Um, I was going to say something else around the book and I can't remember what, oh yeah. So um, I suppose, I know we've just mentioned a couple of other, um, obviously, we're going to move on to gigs that you've loved playing at. But are there any other sort of horror standout stories um, from your days uh, on tour? Well, the, the worst time we had was on that time. We ended up in a hot tub uh, on that. Well, that was in Spain, and um, we were being driven by um, a little John, who now runs a very successful. Uh, van band driving company in Brighton. They're called Oosh, and I recommend everyone use them. When we're eventually allowed to play gigs, use Oosh, because John's really good. Plays <laughs> guitar in Lower Slaughter now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Lower Slaughter are amazing as well. Yeah, exactly. Good band, good people. Um, did yeah, you see yeah. Barney on um, 
on uh, Pointless this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. I've heard it and I need to go, I need to watch yeah. it. Um, I yeah. might watch that this afternoon, actually. Yeah, That's okay. hilarious. I won't ruin that for you. Um, I think he does, he does shout out his band in the first one, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, Spain, when John was driving, and he was, like, new to the game of driving, or fairly new to it. And um, we'd, we'd done this enormous drive from Poitiers in France to Valencia. It was, like, about a 15-hour drive. We got up at 5 in the morning, and we got there at 9 in the evening. So however many hours that is, that's how long it was. And um, we got to the venue. We just rolled in set up and started playing and within about 15 minutes the police came in and um <laughs> told us to stop and um so it was a really long day the police roll in say it's too net too loud you can't play here it wasn't really a proper venue it was one of those we're like oh brilliant okay so <laughs> we pack our stuff away we get back in the van we drive back to the promoter's house and um valencia is one of those old cities where there's no parking so john the driver dropped us off at the guy's house disappeared off to try and find somewhere to park, parked, walked back to the flat, woke up in the morning, couldn't remember where he parked the van. <laughs> uh, so he went off to try and find the van while we waited. He got to the van eventually, phoned us and said, I've got the van, but I can't find my way back to you. Oh, God. You've got to come. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drive to this, um, it was like a big library or museum on the hill, and you've got to walk to me from this house in Valencia. Obviously, we've never been to Valencia before and don't know nothing about anything. <laughs> For whatever reason, he'd left his sat-nav behind. So we had his sat-nav. So we were like, okay, well, we'll program him where you are on the sat-nav and we'll just walk to you like using the magic of this. Sat-navs were new as well back then, or they certainly were to us. Yeah, and days before smartphones as well. Exactly, obviously. we were like 2005, 2006 maybe, or something yeah. like that. We didn't know what we were doing. I'm still using a Nokia now, as I've told you. So <laughs> certainly didn't know then. But so we programmed it in and we walked. And because we didn't know nothing about sat-navs and Valencia is like a lot of one-way streets, we were doing like squares and coming back on ourselves to go off in a different direction following this sat-nav. It was, it was murder. It took us hours. And Valencia, we had to drive to Madrid. And Madrid to Valencia is only for a couple of hours. And we yeah. got to Madrid at about 10 at night. Having got uh, up really early to try and find the van, we were furious. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Um, but yeah, we... Anyhow, they have good times, eh? <laughs> yeah. Need a tour manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tip, 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 have a tour manager and don't use a sat-nav if you're walking anywhere. Yeah. But, uh, I think you can probably program in now, like, you're walking, right? Rather than you're driving. Well, you do, just use your phone nowadays, yeah. other, other, other than you, obviously. But. Yeah, but, but, yeah <laughs> I've seen people do that, yeah, using their phone. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, um, and like I said uh, to the listeners, if you, if you haven't read this book yet, um, read it. Um, there's that story and many others um, that Joe tells that are particularly hilarious. So, Joe, we'll we'll move on to the, the, the fun bit of the podcast. And I know you've prepared, thank God. Um, we'll talk about some of your favourite gigs played and favourite gigs been to as a fan. Um, mm. So, yeah, let's start off with gigs played, mate. Um, what, is, what are some of your top ones? And yeah, I, I was, I, us. yeah, I thought we'd just do last year. Yeah. Because... There's like so many, 
it would be more of a I couldn't I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be able to like trim it down to a top few if it was over the course the whole time it would feel unfair yeah. to miss some out so I'd say last year the best probably the best like gig we did last year I thought was in Portsmouth nice yeah we played at a place called the loft and it was yeah. put on by uh, it was put on put on by honeymooner and calamity crate crate diggers they put it on we'd never played Portsmouth before in our life as a band and um so I assumed there'd be no one there <laughs> and, it, and it was brilliant it was completely packed Nice. It was such a positive room. We played with uh, a couple of local bands, Fly Bums. I can't remember who else. I should have written that down. A couple of others. That's right. And it was just so positive. It was. It, it felt like one of those nights. It's just like, man alive, this is working. And not just from our point of view, not just like, oh, people are here to see us. Because it wasn't really about <laughs> that. It was, about, it was just the fact that there were so many people there and it just was so positive, you know? Nice. It just, yeah, it was just a terrible weather, but really hot. <laughs> it was like pouring, but hot. It must have been towards the summer, much like the weather now. And um, yeah, I don't know. It is not, it's not a funny story or nothing. It was just really positive. And That's... having never been there before, last year we didn't play Brighton. We played a lot yeah. last year, they're now out. But for whatever reason, we didn't play Brighton. We played Portsmouth instead. And, um, you know, I love Brighton and stuff, but I'm so glad we played Portsmouth. And I, I would say my thing, my tip from this would be, or my take from this, is to go to towns that don't aren't traditional. You know what I mean? Like if you used to pick like eight gigs to play in this country, you might not pick Portsmouth. Yeah. In the same way that you might not pick Plymouth, and Plymouth is another great place. Yeah. You know, and and sometimes these places can be better because it's, people are like, oh man, like it's happening in our town. You know, and like I say, it's not because we're big or anything. It's just something's happening. Yeah, it just felt beautiful. Really, I really liked it. It was good. It's. Uh, I'm really glad to hear you say that. And uh, yeah, I didn't want to talk over you. So Portsmouth is my old stomping ground. So uh, I used oh, really? to. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, my me growing up was going down to the Wedgwood Rooms there, which is oh, yeah. what like 300 cap, I think. Um, but any sort of like mid-level touring bands would come through. So like the first time I saw Future the Left, for example, was in there. Right um but yeah like other than that you only had the pyramids which was like the bigger venue in the leisure center and it was crap um but if you wanted to see a bigger band there but otherwise like you say like where i grew up i grew up about half an hour north of portsmouth had to go to like like, there was no diy scene really um Mm -hmm. and the the venue you've just mentioned the loft um i don't think that's been around well I, i left portsmouth years ago but um I don't think it's been around that long, but I know like John, some previous guests that have been on here, they've played there. Um, and I think a load of other like sort of smaller bands. Um, yeah. As a, well, I say smaller bands, but um, I've played played there. So it's it's really nice to hear that the Loft have got something going on there. Yeah, obviously the, the it's above a pub. I can't remember the name of the pub. Yeah, I can't remember um, either. It's, it's an old boozer. It's obviously been there for like hundreds of years. Yeah, they just made this room upstairs, and it was just lovely. I don't know. It, it was, what's the area called? Is it South Sea? What's it called? Uh, yeah, it's like it's like Fratton South Sea area. I can't remember where the loft exactly is, but I have a feeling it's off. I'm going to look it up because I'm actually really interested. I yeah, think it's, it's just off um, Fratton Road. Let me have a look. Right, it's on. Yeah, it's on a little. It's a little sort of high street, but not in. It seemed to be like a half a mile out of Portsmouth, maybe. 
Uh, I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, yeah, I can't find it now. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's good. My, it's like, it's, um, yeah, because my um, oldest son goes to university in Portsmouth. Oh, nice. And um, he wasn't there then, so he didn't come to that gig. But then afterwards, because he was looking for things to do, and I pointed him in the direction of that band, um, uh, the singer from Jet Three Sharks, who we mentioned earlier. Mm. There's a band down there. His name's Joe. I don't know if you know him, but um, no. Shit. <laughs> he, oh, bollocks. Anyhow, he's in a band down there, and, and they do stuff as well. So Stan, my son, went along to one of their gigs, like a couple of months, you know, a couple of months before the lockdown business. Yeah. And, um, yeah. He said it was a great time. Four or five bands. And it was the same sort of story. It was. Um, yeah. yeah. This stuff happening. Yeah, that's yeah. It's like I said. It's for me personally. That's really, really good to hear that there's something going on. Yeah, and like like we were saying earlier, I remember Jets. I obviously was trying to remember the name, but I remember Jets versus Sharks back in the day because they were the only. It was a lot of like weird, like scar and punk, um, yeah. like not not very good stuff. Basically, I was in I was into scar and punk, but it, the scene wasn't there. Wasn't really like a decent sort of rock scene, as it were. So yeah. That's good to hear, man. So let's see your, yeah, let's see your um, next couple then. Yeah. Um, so I would say uh, we played a place uh, called Boto's Farm, uh, which is about an hour south of Torino. Okay, cool. Um, in Italy, of course. And um, we played Switzerland the night before um, Geneva. Um, brilliant venue, a venue called Cave 12. Really excellent night. And then we drove like through the Alps, we paid money to drive through that tunnel that goes under the Big Alp, whatever the Big Alp is called. Yeah, yeah. I like I'm terrible with this, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, mate. <laughs> the, bit, the, the, bit, the Big Hill. <laughs> yeah, other than all the other Alps, the particularly big ones, <laughs> what the tunnel goes through. And it's like, it's quite expensive to drive through. It's like 60 or 70 euros. Oh, um, no. but, it's, but then once you're up there, it's like virtually all downhill for miles and it's, it was beautiful driving through the Alps. Um, and then we didn't know, because it was a Monday night, so it's quite hard getting good gigs on a Monday night or gigs at all on a Monday night. No one wants to put you on. Um, so there's this guy called Boto, B-O-T-O, and he's a, um, he's a peach farmer. Um, and he has a farm, and it's called Boto's Farm. And it has a, like a, a room like that is only about... Uh, trying to describe the size of it, half the size of a squash court. Does yeah. that, that make sense? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I sort of, I've got this thing at home where I measure things in golf balls. <laughs> like, like, how much like um, sauce do I put in this thing? I'm like, I like four golf balls. <laughs> um, so it's a half the size of a squash court, this, this guy's like barn on his actual farm. And it's it totally in the middle of nowhere. And um yeah, and he put us on, and all he does is he just phones all the local villagers to come, and there was like there was like twenty or thirty people there, properly in the middle of nowhere, just in his barn, and he only puts gigs on on a Monday night because he knows touring bands can't get gigs. But he's had big bands there. He had K K, -K Null. Uh, he had um, guy from um, Anida played there. Oh fucking hell! Um, what's his name? The guy from is it Man Forever? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember off the top of my head. That it's... might have been it. Like, um, I think they do various things, but I think it was that one. So yeah, so you, like these sort of 
bands will just go there, play to lo- local people, 20 or 30 people. You sleep in his, you sleep in his gaff with his like family, his like wife and kids. He doesn't like peaches either. That's the other thing. He's a peach farmer. <laughs> um, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't eat his profits. <laughs> no, yeah, there you go. Don't smoke your own whatever. Don't smoke your own. <laughs> um, and and his, his, him and his wife, whatever, cook up this enormous like Italian, you know, you can imagine. And oh man, it was it was quite it was it was excellent. Yeah, staying there, and then we the morning after you get taken to the local bakery. So you go to the bakery, and his one of the other guys that's putting this night on runs the bakery, and you go there, and he'll give you breakfast at his bakery, which is like anyhow. And we so we took a photo right there, right at, uh, where we had this bakery stuff, and that picture will become very clear in about a month's time. You'll see that picture about because. <laughs> But um, uh, that was a hint. Um, <laughs> that's Boto's farm about an hour south of Torino. Amazing. In the middle of nowhere. Because when we were driving there, it's like, it's kind of like Somerset in the middle of Somerset where you drive and you're just like on, you know, like re- um, around all the edges of fields around there. There's these things called reams. So they're dug into the ground that are full of water. You may know this, you may not. Yeah. Yeah, you can imagine. And it was like that, but you, but you couldn't see a building for miles, the Alps are in the distance, but there was no buildings. And we're following the sat-nav because we're now mature and know how to use it. <laughs> and, and like, I can't remember who was up front. Bob might have been up front and he goes, oh, like, we fucked this. This is, we're nowhere here. We've, we've put the wrong thing in. And then as we turn this corner, there's this like jolly sort of farmer waving at us <laughs> like this. And we're like, you're kidding me. And we get there and he's just like hugely gregarious, hugging sort of Italian. It's like, way sort of thing. We're like, holy shit. Absolutely marvellous. Yeah, I like it. How, how, do, how did you even like, like <laughs> come across that as a place to book a gig then? Like, well, we're quite, I, I guess we're quite lucky because we got someone in Europe who books things for us. So he's got oh, like, okay. a, he's, he's all connected up with that sort of thing. And it's, that, it's the classic Monday night. Because we've done Monday nights that, you know, I've got a very vague rule of trying not to play Mondays or Sundays. Sundays can be quite good, but there's something quite depressing about waking up on a Sunday and now you've got a gig that night. (laughs) I can't put my finger on it. Sometimes you're like, I don't know. It is is as a punter as well, because actually the last time I saw you guys was uh, when you played with Nod and Park Chimp at um, Tufnell Park Dome. And it was a Sunday Sunday night. And because, yeah, because I'm South London, and that's very North London. It takes me like an hour and a half to get back on public transport. Yeah. And like su- Sunday night after, and it was great seeing three really noisy bands, but on a Sunday night, you're kind of like, I can't even go for a pint after this. I can't even like, I've got to go straight home. Yeah, the whole thing's a bit of a downer. Sundays are, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that night. I remember that night very clearly because we, we, that was the fifth night of five gigs we'd done. Yeah. And I left work the next day and it was like I had to drive back to Somerset and get up at five in the morning to go to work. And it had been a long few days with a lot of driving and I was stuck in London. I, I can't stand driving in and out of London nowadays. I used to live there and I used to, I think I found that when I lived there, I sort of defended London as being the best place ever. But once you're out of it, you're like, God damn that place. <laughs> yeah. How I feel and especially when I'm driving in and out of it all the time. So that night, I remember thinking, I've got to go, I've got to leave. So I left as soon as we finished because I had to get home and get up for work. But I, I, you know, I'm under the impression the whole night was very pleasant, but I was just like, it's a Sunday. Get me the hell yeah. out. 
So yeah, yeah. getting things on a Monday is, is tough. But when you're like doing like a run of a, you know, if you're away for a week or two, you can't really afford to have a night off because a night off means you need to feed yourself and you need to find somewhere to sleep. Yeah. But if someone like Boto is putting you on at his farm, <laughs> then you can sleep there. He'll feed you. And there might not be any money in it, but the whole night is just a hundred times better than if you just go to a hotel and bum, bum about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was a great night. Um, uh, the other good one from last year was Paris. We played at a place called Supersonic, which is not a particularly good venue. And the staff there aren't particularly friendly. And the promoter was a bit of a, I can't even remember the promoter, so I don't really want to have a go at him. But I remember the whole thing being a bit of a pain in the ass. We got there at four, but we were still late for a sound check, so we had to sit around for six hours waiting to play. But when we played, the place was completely packed. Amazing. And everyone went crazy. Like, Paris is brilliant. Because we've been, we've been to Paris a lot. Like, people don't often go crazy. But there, it was just, it just felt like a, you felt like you was in a proper band with people who had come to see you. It was, yeah, of course, I'm welling up. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was one of, you know, so like, you, you know, I love your Boto's farm gigs, but I also do love a gig where people turn up and, and, and it's. And get into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah it's funny you say that. Um, you see a lot of YouTube clips nowadays. Um, so it's like a band that I'm really into at the moment, as a lot of people know, because I've always waffled on about them, called The Armed. And they're, they are like manic, hardcore kind of bands, and they do create a show. But there's uh, there's a clip of when they played in Paris, and I don't know the name of the venue, but proper little sweat box of a venue. Mm. And it just, I would have loved to have been in that room. It's just that everybody just going a little bit wild for half an I, hour. and Exactly. But well, there's a, there's, a, there's a big thing about like cities, tradition, you know, like cities that have a lot going on. Yeah. Like the people that go to those gigs kind of get spoiled so they don't kick off do you know what i mean like when they're watching a band it's yeah. like yeah, yeah there's a band last night and there's a band tomorrow night so i'm just going to pop in and watch this amazing london, band. london's yeah. london's a lot like that um i find that a lot especially like heavier gigs like there was a band called frontiera that i went to see last year um great band great uh ped's a great guy i've been chatting to him a lot but they're insanely heavy and everyone just stood there but yeah. I know, I know when they've played other gigs like in Europe or maybe even like somewhere like Bristol, you look at the clips or photos from those gigs, and everybody's jumping around. You're like, "What happened in London?" Like, <laughs> no, that's it. There's, so some places are famous for that. So you'd think that Paris would be. Yeah, but Paris isn't. Paris is like, <laughs> let's go, and you're like, "But what, what's happened here? Why are you so? Why are you not?" totally worn down by the thousands of bands that must play here <laughs> you know we, i think we played there about eight times so that might yeah. help so maybe early on it wasn't like that but the more you go back the better it is there anyway like it's a great place i love it well like playing there i don't love much else driving <laughs> <laughs> in paris is a pain in the ass but the people are nice and the promoters are normally nice and yeah, you always stay in someone's house and it's always great. And then they'll turn awesome. up with a load of croissants in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, man. Think, like, like, your, your, your baguette in France tastes so much better than any baguette you can buy in this country. Like they're, yeah. they're obviously making it with the proper ingredients over there. And just here, we're just chucking flour and water at it. 
<laughs> when you eat <laughs> best thing ever. Over here, it tastes like ass. <laughs> um, so move on to top three gigs you've been to as a fan. So the other side of the barrier. Yeah. Well, I've, I've divided this up. Just cool. we, can, we can race through them, but I've divided it up because I've divided them up as gigs I've seen at festivals and yeah. gigs I've seen not at festivals because I think they're two different experiences. I I totally agree. Yeah, a festival gig sometimes like. It's not that band's gig for one, so the audience can be a bit mixed, or maybe your mindset is different as well because you've been drinking since sort of six in the morning, <laughs> or, or, or you haven't stopped or whatever. So they can be two different things. So I've got lungfish at um, all tomorrow's parties. Amazing. Um, all tomorrow's parties got quite a, uh, 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 what can I say? Messy reputation nowadays. But mm. at the time, people went to those ATPs and had the best time ever. So you can be a bit, it's a bit, uh, a bit conflicted about having a go at them because I've had some great times at ATPs. Yeah, but yeah, Lancashire. Yeah. I never thought I'd ever see them, and um, they played this one, and and I don't know. Yeah, it was very emotional watching them because I just love that band, and I never thought yeah. I'd see them. And I don't know, they they, they were magic. So, yeah. yeah. All tomorrow's parties. I I was very unfortunate, and funny enough, I was talking about this the other day, um, chatting with someone on Twitter. I I was never, I never went to any of the UK ones, but I went to the last one in Iceland um, before things went tits up with uh, ATP. Um, And you mentioning seeing a band that you never thought you'd see. I saw Drove Like Jehu, um, and and again, I was like never thought I'd see Drive by Jehu and they play that they were one of the reasons why I was like fuck it I'm going to Iceland like there was like Run the Jewels played Iggy Pop Mud Honey um can't remember who else played but it was quite like a big like a lot of bigger bands but like seeing Drive Like Jehu I stood there and I said this is incredible yeah right exactly yeah so that's what's good about that was what was good about those ATPs is that, yeah, I saw, um, went to that one that had um, Stooges played in my Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and it was, yeah, again, I, I, I was very unlikely to pay big money to go and see the Stooges at, where, where would the Stooges play? I don't even know. Probably Brixton Academy or something yeah, like that. Whatever, yeah. yeah. And, and like living down here, like in Somerset, I was never going to drive up and watch, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. Because who else they negative approach played that one? Oh, amazing! And, and you'd think like there was no way that negative approach you're going to kick ass and rage, but god damn that band like <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like you know this is we're talking about a band who peaked in '81, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But like you watch them now and you think you know they still they still totally nail it in a way that so many don't, even young bands. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I've had good good times at ATPs, but it's just like, it's a little bit poison now talking about it. Mm. That band's got stiffed or whatever else, but I always had a good time at the festivals. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I would the next one I'd say is um, uh, Shield Your Eyes. Is that band? No, no. Uh, yeah, they play. They're um, they're a three piece. They're now um, they're not going anymore now, but the. Uh, Main two people in that are now in a band on Gringo called Reciprocate. Okay. Um, uh, they played, um, it was super normal. Uh, about, it's got to be about eight years ago. 
No, I haven't. It's on and again. It's a festival that's on my list. Um, again, a lot of people have spoken to me about that before and saying it's a, a great, great atmosphere there. Yeah, it's good fun. Um, it's low key. They don't like oversell it. There's not thousands of people there. I don't know how many they let in, but it can't even. I'd be surprised if it was even a thousand actually. Um, but yeah, it's outdoors in Oxfordshire somewhere. I don't know where. Even I've driven to it many times. <laughs> uh, middle of no you know one of those middle of nowhere places that i can't remember the name of it yeah anyhow shield your eyes they played and i i um yeah i just it was just so good it was just so good i was standing there with um who was i standing next to tim from chimp yeah uh, i remember him turning around to me and and like we just yeah i think we were just in awe at how good this band were this particular night I'd seen them, I, I saw them again afterwards and they weren't as good. So my guess, they weren't bad, but they just, <laughs> I'm not saying they were bad. They just could never have been as good. It was just perfect. That outdoor festival that's kind of community-ish and the weather was nice. Yeah, uh, they were excellent. And the third awesome. one I've heard is um, uh, Warthog. I don't know if you know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're Warthog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so New York band. They played... Um, Stack Shock Weekend, uh, not last year, the year before. What year are we? 2020, must have been 2018. Yeah. Um, played the Saturday night, headlined the Saturday night in the big ex FedEx room. I don't, do you, be, do you, be, you must have been to New River, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've been to New River studios, yeah. Yeah, see, I've never really been in the big building behind. You always end up, well, I always end up being in the New River studios bit. But behind yeah. there's this big place and it's the ex-FedEx thing. And I reckon there must have been 500 people in there when they played. Fucking hell. I'd be surprised if it wasn't that much. It felt like absolutely rammed. It was a big room. And I thought, oh, God damn, yeah. It was like, it was like, because one of the things I want, if, if you could travel in time, I'd love to go and see the Cro-Mags in 1985 or 80. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to have seen that era of them and, you know, touring that first album. It felt like what that might have been like. Just in this room, like people were going mental for it. They were tight as hell. Yeah, and, and yeah, they were brilliant. It just oh. felt, I just felt so excited. And it, the buzz lasted like half a year every time I thought about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went to the festival last year as well and um, saw that band Muro, M-U-R-O, who yeah. was Columbia. Um, and yeah, I had a very similar feeling watching them as well. It was just really, really exciting watching this happen right in front of you. Like you're watching nice. this moment of history. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. it's, inter it's interesting. I've never never been in that big room behind New, New River Studios. I've been up to New River loads, but yeah, yeah it seems a, seems a bit out of the way. <laughs> it's always a bit out of the way, New River. But yeah, for a South person like yourself, I guess it is like traveling up from Blackheath to Manor House is is a bit of a uh, bit of a trek. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I like the venue. It's one of it's it's a, it's a they're doing good things up there. Rehearsals as well and whatever else. You can get nice pizzas. Yeah, and they've got the the cat. They've got the cat that sits on the bar as well. Basket yeah. cat. Exactly. There's a lot going on. Actually, one of the guys that works in there is the main guy in Shield Your Eyes. Oh, okay, cool. Works in the bar in there. Um, uh, what was I going to say that's good about New River? Oh yeah, cups of tea. Yeah. Cup of tea, so you can have a cup of tea whilst you're watching a band. 
which I just, it's peak civilization now. <laughs> that's, like, that's the development that I want, I'm backing fully for all venues. I don't know if there's a rule maybe behind having scalding hot drinks. No, sure, surely not. Like, um, maybe, maybe, maybe like a, a gentleman's rule that you can't take hot cups of tea into a venue. But I would, lo- I'd love to see more of that, especially like, um, like weekday gigs, where you're like, I, I really shouldn't drink, and then you go to the bar and you're like, uh, there's either lemonade, water, or a beer, and you always end up buying a beer. But if there was a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I would definitely be down for that. People would go mental for it, wouldn't they? <laughs> I think it's, it's a quite under... You don't realise, I think, because once you've had like two or three pints, you're like, oh, I'd love a cup of tea, but you, you don't switch. You would never switch. <laughs> Your was there. But this, so this... So yeah, New River, they've got cups of tea. And so I'm, I'm all about that. <laughs> yeah. we, don't, we don't, like, we're not like a band that have riders particularly. Uh... But if a promoter ever asks, I always demand a kettle. Yeah. So, because really, it's just a kettle. And I don't even mind if it's just coffee, to be honest. Just like granulated, crappy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, I just don't want to drink a can of Coke all the time. Yeah. Or a a warm warm can of Stella or whatever, Tuborg or whatever's on offer. Yeah, budget booze times twenty four. <laughs> I'll I'll remember that if I ever put on a gig and I, I book you guys, I'll I'll make sure there's a kettle and some uh, some Yorkshire tea bags in there. It's got to be Yorkshire tea. However you roll, yeah, that's what we've got at the minute actually. But yeah, <laughs> although to be fair, the only reason we've got it here at the minute is because we did a Tesco delivery, and they accidentally sent us Yorkshire tea, and we didn't even ask for tea at all. But there was a massive two hundred. Anyhow, that's nothing. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, currently, I'm currently into Yorkshire tea because they accidentally sent us 240 tea bags of it. Yeah, well, my my better half is from Yorkshire, so she won't drink anything other than. So, uh, I'll put, I'll tell you, I, okay, so we had this, we've had this discussion here, and I swear there's no difference. Like, what what are they doing different in the Yorkshire tea? Because there's no difference. <laughs> I don't know the way. Um, I don't. Even, I don't even really know how tea's made. To be honest, like the actual tea bag itself, I'm not really a tea expert. But suppose, supposing there is, and I won't. I won't. Uh, she won't hear any difference. So uh, I can't really argue it. Right. Right. It's like it's like, it's like I was saying to you earlier. We're going away. I'm coming to near you um, for people that have no idea what we're talking about. But um, yeah, I'd be, we had to order some Yorkshire tea on our Tesco delivery for when uh, for when it t- for when we turn up so uh, so that we've got it. <laughs> she's just sh- she's she's just shouting good from the other room as well. So well, cuz like cuz we know I normally just buy like the budget builders Sainsbury's Tesco tea, you know, like the box, the red box with like a zillion yeah. in for a quid or whatever. When we accidentally got these Yorkshire tea bags, I'm like, cool, we'll try them. And like there there is no difference. <laughs> it's just the packaging. You're just being sucked in by the packaging. I think there's I think there's a few things I've got to research after this. There's a few bands I've got to listen to and I've got to find out the difference <laughs> in tea. <laughs> yeah, well. Do a do a Joe, you should do a uh, blind taste test. You should do just blindfold you, you and your your missus drinking yeah. cups of tea, and just see, just see if you can tell the difference. 
Well, I went through a phase of being convinced that there was no difference in. Um, this is going to sound crazy because I proved myself. <laughs> I went through a phase of thinking there was no difference in the taste of fruit pastels. <laughs> you know, like they're all like different, like they're different colours. And I, was, I had it in my head that if you got a purple one and you saw that it was purple, you're like this is going to be like black currant. So your yeah. brain was automatically like, okay, black currant, pop in, and like it just what the brain does its thing, and it convinces you that this purple chewy thing is. But I have done a bit of a taste test with that, and I do think, especially the orange ones, they, they are kind of orangey, to be fair to them. But I, I think for all sweets, I'm not sure Skittles, but anyhow. <laughs> music, right? Not, not... No, no, that, that's fine. That's a very, that's a very good tangent. Um, there's, when I do preview clips, I always clip a bit um, as the preview, and I've decided that either what we were waffling on about to begin with, or tea bags is going to be the, uh, the preview clip. I'm going to reel them in. That'll, uh, <laughs> marketing genius. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what were, your, what were your last three? Because you've done your festival gigs. Yeah, and you're going to do three more. Yeah, sorry. We ha we've been going on too long, right? Is that the story? Yeah. No, no, no. No, that's fine, mate. Go. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to do... There's a, f there's a few. I, I'll do, like, a very early one from when I was very young first. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I'm, I think I'm 15, so it's 1990. Okay. Um, and it was um, Faith No More at the Astoria in London. And it was um, the Real Thing tour when they first came over with Mike Patton singing. And um, up to that point, I'd, I'd gone to gigs and I'd seen, um, I was kind of a heavy metal kid. And I'd seen, um, who had we gone to see? Because I've just been going through my tickets recently. So that's the other thing. You don't get tickets anymore. And yeah. That's a bit depressing. So I took my oldest son to his, I've taken both my kids to their first proper big gigs. And um, for the oldest son, I took him to see Slayer and Anthrax um, in Birmingham. And we yeah. paid two pounds extra to get the tickets. Yeah. I think, yeah you, yeah, you covered that in your book, didn't you? That, yeah, you said about that. And you were so proud that you... Uh, almost had like a tear in your eye at the end of the night. Oh, it was beautiful. But what that was a thing. It was because they're old school bands like Slayer and Anthrax. And it was, it, and, and so I saw them when I was his, it was, I saw them when I was his age. So, and if that's not the band I'm talking about here, I was talking <laughs> about tickets. So I was going for my tickets. And so around 1989, 1990, 14, 15, for whatever reason, I was allowed into London to go to gigs. And, um, I can't imagine letting my own kids into London. <laughs> it terrifies me, but I was. Um, so we saw a lot of like heavy metal things. We saw like Testament and Halloween. Oh, amazing. Um, um, one of the first things I saw was Iron Maiden at Monsters of Rock. I was 14, can you imagine? Um, so we had tickets for all these, but Faith No More was the first one really that um, was standing. Uh, all the others were at Hammersmith Odeon. They were sitting like seats. So like you had your little area and you didn't really move. You just did a bit of headbanging with your tiny mullet, but that was it. Um, but Faith No More was at the Astoria and they did, it was, um, which isn't there anymore, right? I'm assuming mm. you went to the Astoria. Yeah, yeah I, went, I went a few times. Yeah, because it got demolished when, uh, well, about seven, eight years ago. So yeah, I went a few times. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so this is 19, yeah, we're talking 1990, standing, my first sort of, gig like that big gig that I'd gone to that was standing and 
and um like the barriers fell apart at the front and a lot of low people got crushed and it was all like and we were at the front because we you know you're enthusiastic at that age and it was kind of terrifying slash really really exciting <laughs> and um and faith and all were brilliant i loved the real thing at the time and it was one you know i played in fact i played it again recently and i still think it's all right even though Patton's voice is a bit whiny but it is I, I think it still stands out but anyhow that was a very exciting gig to go to amazing um, and see like a crowd going mental and just like when you you know when you first go to those gigs and you and it's like a soup of people yeah you sort of do that whole jumping in the air thing and you get shifted like 10 foot and <laughs> you're 15 or 16 and it's just the, and when i go to gigs now at like my ripe old age and i sort of stand at the back like the warthog thing from like i was mentioning earlier and you see and i'm now i'm now hugging a wall of course <laughs> not like down the front but you watch that thing at the front and you think oh yeah i remember that i remember how exciting that was and that was yeah. that for me like this is the first time i've gone to one of these things where it's and then for like we endlessly went to gigs after that for those sort of things, standing rather than sitting. Yeah. yeah. Like same year we saw like Nirvana and Fugazi and all these bands. And, um, and yeah, we saw Nirvana at the Astoria, saw Fugazi at Brixton Academy. Um, oh, amazing. Like it was all standing ones. And you're just like, this is, you know, when you're sort of that sort of age. Yeah. You can't yeah. You're, them. You're very, you're very lucky because, um, funny enough, I've, I've never seen Faith No More. I've missed them the last couple of times that they've played London, but I was supposed to see them because they were doing two dates. Well, they were supposed to do two dates in June in London and right. they were supposed to play. There's a, there was a new, fe- well, say new festival. It's like a recreation of a, uh, an Irish festival. It's re- rebranded as Sunstroke and they were going to headline that as well. So that was right. one of the, I think it was like Deftones and uh, Faith No More were the two headliners. So I was like, yeah, definitely going. Yeah. So unfortunately, until next year, I, I won't see Faith No More. <laughs> uh, it's isn't it? They're just one of my bands from my childhood that I've got a real soft spot for. And so I constantly, I don't really know, like, like you're obviously you're a lot younger than me, and so you do like them by the sounds of it. I, but I never really know whether bands I liked in 1990 translate to 30 yeah. years later or whether they just sound dated and horrible so like with like now having kids like who are that sort of age 17 20 like i said i, I sometimes go to them does this sound what i'm listening to here or <laughs> this is what i listened to in then when i was your age like is it rubbish you know because you cannot tell sometimes whether things are yeah. rubbish you've just tied it in with a time in your life that was kind of exciting and full of optimism you know, instead of now where I'm like beaten down and hate everything. <laughs> and, and I listen to a band like Faith No More with their crazy like synthesizer and Pat's voice and it was a bit funky or whatever else. And I'm like, God, does this sound like, like not, does this sound wrong? You know, yeah. Some bands, some bands don't work and some, some still stand up. So I think they possibly do. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I definitely think Faith No More still appeal to, uh well i'm 33 now i definitely still think they appeal to people in their early 20s and um, oh, yeah, yeah. If, yeah if, if they heard them yeah it's it's kind of interesting you say that because like a lot of bands that I'm, i mean obviously i'm still in love with like the bands like ruben and hell is for heroes and those kinds of bands i wonder if in 10 years or 15 years 20 years i'll be like is this rubbish <laughs> yeah no, exactly but it's yeah, your bands like, yeah 
it's your it's the soundtrack of your 16 17 year old self and you're stuck with it you yeah i mean like stan like watches this like proper jazz guitarist on youtube i don't know who the hell it is i don't know is it is it jake jacob collier i could well i have no idea but it's this like high skilled jazz guy who talks about playing the guitar and plays the guitar and does all this sort of stuff but he also says that because he's of a certain age he's totally stuck with like Linkin Park as one of his favorite bands even though he's now like nothing like that but when he listens to them he still gets that sort of 16 year old high like, yeah so yeah I, I'm glad that other people suffer from it as well <laughs> I, I saw Faith No More they, they played with Black Sabbath about three or four years ago yeah um in london at hyde park or whatever at that um and they were by far the best day of that band of that day you know they played like Soundgarden, uh motorhead um yeah and and black Sabbath. but faith number were miles above all the others they just yeah. contemporary and the other bands didn't sound contemporary yeah it, it really felt it to me and i you know you know so so yeah anyhow there we are faith no more amazing yeah, and um, I think that, that one of the other ones is is a few actually, but we used to go upstairs at the garage a lot when I was younger. Yeah, not that much younger actually, even up till quite recently. But do you, um, uh, who put gigs on? Silver Rocket used to put gigs on upstairs at the garage. Yeah, and um, we played a few, but you used to go a lot as well. And um, the ones I've noted down as being good were um, Black Eyes. Remember that band? No, haven't heard Black Eyes. <laughs> Dis yeah, Discord band. They did a couple of albums. Two drummers. They may have had a horn. We were talking about <laughs> earlier. Yeah. A um, couple of basses. I think they were brilliant. Felt like the floor was going to fall in. Um, <laughs> wound so unwound upstairs at the garage. Amazing. Uh, uh, and obviously, your man Vern died, didn't he, this week? Yeah. R.I.P. or whatever else. But it, what I liked about upstairs at the garage was it was small. And I used to stand in front of the toilets in that little corridor that leads to the <laughs> toilet there. Because yeah. you thought, well, no one, like, this is not somewhere that someone wants to stand because it smells a bit of, like, men's <laughs> ass there. So, like, you could... But I, I used to, like, standing there because I thought the on-stage sound was quite good upstairs at the garage. You could stand right there. So uh, there's a lot of pictures of bands up there with me. <laughs> just tucked in the corner. Yeah. yeah. It's because there's one of Unwound playing there and I'm just sort of standing there staring at the bass player. <laughs> Vern playing his thing because I loved his bass playing. Um, yeah, but we saw Mogwai upstairs as well because Mogwai played with Ligament. Oh, wow. Upstairs at the Garage Memories. But yeah. um, it was Ligament, um, Ligament's last gig before they turned into Part Chimp properly or before yeah. John moved on properly to Part Chimp. It was Ligament's last gig and they had a surprise support act, which was Mogwai. And Mogwai played that... Um, that uh, Oh, what's that song called? The the one really long one. I think it's like a Jewish sort of religious song. Yes, I know which one you mean. I can't remember the. My son, my father, or what's that song called? I yeah, I can't... no, yeah, I can't remember the name, but I know which one you mean. Yeah, then that's all they played, and they played that for like half an hour. Like, <laughs> oh wow! And it was, and it was again. There's a picture of me just standing right with a. Uh, What's his face? Main Mogwai fella, um, Stuart, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. I don't really, yeah. He had, uh, he had, what did he have written on his arm? He had a no, no surrender or something written on his arm, like or some like, yeah, and it was a real, he had a, like Celtic top on, of course, but it was, it was really, uh, weirdly, I'm not a massive Mogwai fan, but that particular gig was one of the best gigs I've ever seen. So, oh God knows what that says. 
yeah, with ligament as well. It was really, really excellent night. I've got loads I'm of others written down, but I can't go on. Can I? No, no, that's cool. Those, those, those are all amazing <laughs> stories. Like, um, yeah, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine seeing Mogwai in such a small room, and then, well, we all know what Mogwai are like. They can play anything, yeah. <laughs> and it, it would sound amazing. Yeah, I think it was um, actually it was Chris, our guitarist, put that night on, and um, uh, yeah, they and they. What was the story? They ended up not t not taking any money for the gig or whatever. They what? gave, oh wow! Yeah, and it went towards a different cause, which um, is not my place to say what the cause was, but it went towards <laughs> a different cause. And um, yeah, and it was, it was all pretty righteous, really. I, I, I was, yeah, I used to like going there. It was like two stops from our house as well because we lived in uh, Walthamstow at the time. So. Amazing, regular haunt. Yeah, love the garage. Um, well, thanks, man. Those were some incredible stories. And yeah, we've, we've gone on for quite a while. So uh, we'll wrap it up there if that's all right. Um, so just the last, uh, the last thing is, um, yeah, you got anything to plug at the moment um, in regards to like wrong speed or uh, hey, Colossus or what, anything to plug? Um, no, not really. We've got four wrong speed releases that are coming out. We've got um, uh, Reigns and Sweet Williams are coming out in the middle of September, like in shops. And then uh, Bass Clef and Acid Line is coming out October. Uh, Band-wise, uh, um, soon. <laughs> I did see, I did see uh, a t like something posted on Instagram the other day with like a mic in a studio or something or a notepad. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm presuming there's something coming soon. <laughs> well, to, to, to give you an idea, that picture was taken about a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't do the Instagram stuff, so I, I don't, I'm not in control of it. But um, I'm not sure why that picture got put up because that would be a pretty old picture. But suffice to say, the reason I asked when this podcast was going out was depending on what I was going to talk about at this very point. Yeah, but yeah, I've got yeah. a feeling this podcast comes out before, uh, before anything. So yeah. that's all right. Yeah, it's all pretty obvious. Yeah, that's that's all right, mate. But um, mm. yeah, thank you again for chatting. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and uh, hearing all the tour stories and talking about your book as well. That's really cool to talk about. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up soon, man. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Take it easy.